8200, the number of new housing units that could potentially be created by a proposed rezoning of Gowanus, a neighborhood built around the Gowanus Canal in Brooklyn. The Department of City Planning recently announced it will resume community engagement around the proposal with the aim of kicking off the official land use process known as ULERP in January. Can this get done before Mayor de Blasio leaves office? Or will it suffer a similar fate to Industry City? Council member Brad Lander joins us to discuss this rezoning and more. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. And as Maria said, we're very happy to be joined by City Council member Brad Lander of Brooklyn today to discuss the Gowanus rezoning plan and what may or may not get done in the next year or so, and also to talk to Councilmember Lander about his push towards comprehensive planning and the future of land use and planning in New York City. There's a lot to get to, especially on the heels of our recent discussion, which turned into more of a post-mortem about the industry city rezoning proposal. Uh, There is so much happening around land use development, the conversation that's going to happen in the 2021 New York City election cycle. So it's great to continue on this theme here after we discuss the industry city rezoning proposal in the last episode, which you should check out if you missed it. Uh, We're talking the Gowanus rezoning plan and much more here today with Councilmember Lander. Councilmember Lander, thanks for being here. Welcome. Good morning. It's uh, great to be with you. Uh, and I just want to say I'm a big fan, longtime listener and, you know, big policy nerd. And what's the data point is really just constantly delivers uh, really good ways of thinking about the future of our city. Thank you. We appreciate that. Yeah, we need to we need to capture the policy nerds. Otherwise, we don't have we're, you know, we're in trouble. <laughs> Work out um, so uh, just give just give listeners a, a quick actual just a quick background on you, uh, you know, sort of what you did before joining the city council. So people know a little bit about your resume and background if they're not familiar. Thank you. That's, uh, that's a nice place to start. So for the last 10 years, I've been a, a member of the New York City Council representing the 39th district of Brooklyn neighborhoods of Park Slope and Gowanus and Carroll Gardens and Windsor Terrace and Kensington. Before that, I worked for 15 years in community development, first as the director of the Fifth Avenue Committee, uh, which is an affordable housing, community development, tenants rights organizing and economic development group uh, in the area um, that tries to create jobs, affordable housing and just like dignity for people in the neighborhood. And then for five years, I served as the director of the Pratt Center for Community Development, a sort of think and do tank at the Pratt Institute that works with community groups all around New York City, helping them with issues of land use planning, economic and environmental justice and housing, um, so that when a community's facing a developer with a, you know, a ton of well-paid consultants, the community has somebody on their side. Um, you know, and so I've spent a lot of that time really focused on community-based planning and trying to make sure we get the balance right. We pay attention to the long-term needs of the city as a whole, but we're also really listening to the voices of people from the neighborhood. Uh, we just kicked off this week the 10th year of participatory budgeting, uh, which is something I helped bring to the city 10 years ago. Um, just in that same exact place. It's a big budget. We've got giant needs in the city as a whole, but we need more ways in for people to participate and think about what they want for their neighborhood. And that's been one great uh, way of doing it. 
So you touch on a lot of themes that I want to explore today with the Gowanus rezoning. But um, before we get there, you you know want to talk a little bit about Industry City and what happened. Um, what are you know what are your thoughts on that project and what happened and what could have been done differently for you know did the project deserve to go forward and should it have gone forward in the form that was in or, or in a different form? Yeah, I mean I think it's worth taking even one more step back because I think what happened there to some extent was about that project, but to such a big extent is about the zeitgeist around the issues of development in the city. And it's just like, let's start here. There's really a good reason to be skeptical of rezonings. Like it is easy to understand why people start thinking, you know, the rezonings I've seen, I think they've displaced a lot of low income and working class tenants. Uh, it feels like they've strained existing infrastructure by building housing without really thinking about investments that a community needs. They feel rigged like they're for the developers and that either the folks that own the land before or speculators and front runners and developers um, get rich. Um, and that, yes, there's a public process, but it is it's not real. You know, it's kind of for show and it doesn't actually engage people. And I know we'll get to comprehensive planning later, but one thing I find a big challenge is there's nothing meaningful. There's no real accepted democratic adopted policy goal to judge the rezonings against. You know, you just got this, all this environmental impact statement and you go through this review. Normally you would be saying, what goals are we judging this against? But we don't have that at all on the rezonings. They don't come with a, we said we wanted these kinds of jobs, this kind of housing, this approach to infrastructure. So what you just have is a proposer, sometimes city hall, but, but often as in the case of Industry City, a, a private for-profit developer. And of course their, their goal generally is their bottom line. You know, They're doing the rezoning because it makes sense in their business plan, but the story they're gonna tell the community and the public is we're doing it for these public goals because that's why the, the, the city council should be considering the public goals, the, the community board, the borough president, the city planning commission and the council are supposed to be considering public goals. So there's almost like a hypocrisy built into the process where everyone knows that the developer is motivated by their business plan and their goals. And of course they are, but we have a public process that says we're judging it based on public ones. And I do think that like, kind of core hypocrisy. Again, it's a big part of why uh, I hope we can get to some more comprehensive planning models so we'd have some shared goals. But I think that just hurts every single application. And I really think that hurt Industry City. Um, you know, I think that um, the developer there, and I should just in full disclosure, I, you know, I listened to your episode with Andrew Kimball and Carlos Menchaca, and they are both longtime friends of mine. You know, I've known them both a long time. I really think of them both as friends. And people who I whose integrity I really deeply trust and admire, um, but you know, so I think what 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 did that process in was almost more this bigger set of zeitgeist problems than it was anything in particular about that application. I like to imagine doing it again where there had been a comprehensive planning process that people in Sunset Park felt like they had gotten to be a part of. So their desire to say, here's what we wanna see at Bush Terminal and here's what we wanna see at Brooklyn Army Terminal and here's what we wanna see for that Bush Terminal Piers Park and we can't get to that park right now and we don't have enough access to job training for manufacturing jobs and we wanna see the new wind, um, you know, the, the, the wind energy. If, it, if there had been that plan, and this project had been able to fit into that broader plan with public investment, 
then I think you could imagine it having gone totally differently in a way where it could feel like win-win instead of like lose-lose. Just on that for another minute, I mean, you know, it seemed like with the zeitgeist you're pointing to, you know, it seems like we've had, I guess, a really long period of sort of like a let's get to yes atmosphere. And now we don't have that, generally speaking. Um, and we'll get into the specific one you're working on where the, where the you know, your attitude, of course, is get to yes as you, as you look to move it forward. But um, the, the sort of process that unfolded there, you know, again, generally speaking more about the process is there was a bit of an iterative process, right? There was, you know, the council member making certain demands and many of those being met, but then there were some new, you know, additional concerns. And I'm just not quite certain what went off the rails there, other than the sense that there was this, you know, very vocal community opposition that, that didn't want the council member to, to go forward, period. But I mean, I think the problem there is so much of what the Sunset Park community wants it, it was not on the table because they're not things Industry City can deliver. Um, so the people of Sunset Park, they are nervous about affordable housing and they were nervous about it before the pandemic and they're really nervous about it now. And Industry City can't deliver affordable housing, but that doesn't mean it's not the prime driver and thing that people are thinking in Sunset Park as they're approaching these questions of land use and rezoning. And even on a lot of the ideas for good green jobs, there's enormous opportunity at the city-owned South Brooklyn Marine Terminal and uh, Brooklyn Army Terminal and Bush Terminal and um, a lot of the ways of thinking about how could we invest in something, you know, a little more like the Brooklyn Navy Yard where we get good green jobs, where people have an opportunity. So, you know, all of those things are the land use expectations that a lot of people in Sunset Park bring to thinking about like rezoning development and the future of our neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And those things, I mean, there was certainly obviously a lot of conversation about jobs and job access at Industry City, um, but along the, you know, the business plan of Industry City and not with that much broader tableau of the waterfront in mind. So that's just where I, and I, again, I think you're right that Industry City tried to have for a, you know, private developer uh, led rezoning an iterative community conversation. It's just then what the community said they wanted were all these things that that rezoning could not deliver. So I don't know what could have happened differently in the narrow confines of this one private application. Um, I, I really don't know. But well, I mean, that gets back, I guess, to some of the comprehensive planning or not even comprehensive, but just bigger broader planning where some people, it seems like we're looking for the mayoral administration to come yes. in and fit this into, as you're indicating, a bigger picture and, and that never happened. And I mean, it's tired to just blame Mayor de Blasio and City Hall for things these days, but I do feel this is one more example. You know, I remember having conversations with Andrew Kimball, who had run the Brooklyn Navy Yard early in his days at Industry City. And he went to Deputy Mayor Alicia Glenn at the time and said, I'd like to do something more like the Brooklyn Navy Yard, but to do something like that requires city capital. Like the reason that Brooklyn Navy Yard can do it is the city invests in the infrastructure. Uh, Industry City has a lot of infrastructure needs. There are hundred year old buildings. They have a, a huge amount of infrastructure investment that's needed. Either there's a model where the city could put the capital in and then you could offer more light manufacturing and jobs and offer affordable rents. Or if you're not gonna get the city investment, then you need a business model that finds ways to bring that, that money in. 
So even without going to the bigger issues of affordable housing in Sunset Park and the other city-owned assets, obviously, which would have needed city engagement, just on Industry City, more city engagement was needed. And it was never there. Even early on, Deputy Mayor Glenn didn't bring it. And then at the end, when it might, there might have been an opportunity when, when Councilmember Menchaca kind of called out to City Hall saying, you know, if this is going to have any chance of going forward, we need City Hall to engage. City Hall just decided not to show up on this one. And so sure, then it was stuck in the narrow confines of this one, still big, but specific rezoning. And I think in that, with that setup, I don't know how it could have. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, in what you said, and I think, you know, you make a key point here that industry city cannot be the one to substitute for what is more properly and appropriately city capital investment. Um, and so I think what ends up happening is the community um, sees these kind of private applications as their opportunity to finally sort of like wave the flag and say, these are the type of investments we want in our community. But it's not the sort of right dialogue to happen around that application, right? And reflecting on that podcast, um, as you know, CBC tries to explore this issue and think about how to improve this process. Um, you know, it seemed to me there couldn't have been an agreement on that project and then together a unified front to say to the city now, okay, this is how we want to plan around this for our community and fit this project in. And this is what we need on the sort of core capital infrastructure and other investments to make it all work. Yeah. But I mean, I, yeah, and I agree you could, you know, that, that would be better than what we had for sure. Yeah you know, better still if we could get there would have been, and whether it be a full citywide comprehensive plan or just a planning process for the neighborhood in which an array of decisions got made, some investments got prioritized and some rules got set for private owners, including Industry City. Like you can imagine a world where there would have been a planning process with all of that, that actually then would have given Industry City an as of right path to uh, a set of things that had been agreed upon in community planning. And, you know, that certainly would have been much more what residents of the neighborhood want, but I think it would have been much more what any, an industry city would, would want too, um, which is then a, a clear path forward. And, and that's really, you know, maybe we should come up with a different name than comprehensive planning, because what we want are clear public goals for what we expect from development, what we're gonna do with our infrastructure and what we're gonna require and expect of private actors. So they know the rules. So the rules are fair, transparent, equal across the board, but also deliver on the public goals. And then it'd be a lot easier to judge, You know, not just like your, does your DOB application comply with the zoning, but is the plan that's being presented in sync with the goals we all said we had for economic and, and housing development for the future of the city. Maybe we'll, oh, go ahead, Maria. No, go ahead. Maybe we'll come back to some of that later. Uh, we want to get to Gowanus, obviously, but as a transition to Gowanus, what was, what was going through your mind when you saw lots of your colleagues weighing in on the industry city plan? You, you've got the Gowanus thing uh, going for years, obviously, and it's going to be coming up but you see this big discussion about jobs in the city development, some council members saying, we got to get this done. Others saying, leave Carlos alone. <laughs> what was going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, it bears noting that, you know, I think like the four maybe most involved council members here on the two opposing sides of that are amongst my closest friends and colleagues in the council. So 
um, you know, uh, Carlos Menchaca and Antonio Reynoso, who, you know, is I think the first council member to kind of, you know, loudly support and back him up are just two of my my dearest uh, friends that have done a lot of work with them. Uh, but Richie Torres and Donovan Richards also, I endorsed both of them in their recent races, which, you know, was not sort of what folks in kind of my movement progressive space uh, maybe did in it, uh, entirely in both those races. So, um, you know, mostly what I thought is yikes, this is a really, you know, we've know, long known that the politics of development and planning and land use in New York City are challenging. This is even more challenging. You know, Amazon was a was a big fight, and and I we had a lot of debates. But you know, I, I make no apologies for for I think that, that development as they proposed it and as the governor and the mayor gave it to them was not the right way forward. And not everyone agrees with that, of course. But most of my close kind of friends and you know and and running buddies uh, were on one side of that. Here I'm thinking, wow, this is you know the politics of development are just even more fraught and polarized and. You can understand in some ways why the pandemic makes this harder. You know, we are more polarized. I think, you know, the, the challenges of the model that we've had for economic development and its shortcomings are more clear. And yet, on the other hand, we desperately need job creation and economic development and investment in the future of the city. So it's easy to understand why it feels even more polarized, but it's, it's hard. It's distressing. This is a time when you want to have unity. You want to have that we can all pull together in the face of this crisis and build a unified vision for a just recovery that really does invest in the city, create jobs, give us a sense of a common shared project, um, but in a way that is uh, attends to these issues of racial and economic inequality that have so scored the city. So that's what we wanna have together and instead um, we're really stuck in a hard place where people are, are even having a hard time like listening where the fights are loud and angry. Um, and yeah, we'll see. That makes me anxious about the Gowanus rezoning. I'd be lying to you if I, if I pretended like it, it, it wasn't true. But I guess I will say, and, and we can get into this, we've spent really the better part of a decade listening. I think if, you know, if there was a competition for a planning process in which the most people were engaged the most amount across all these lines of difference, and you tried to set places where people could listen to each other, and you tried to start from setting public goals, and then really dug in on them. Um, it, we've done that as much as I've seen anyone ever do it. And I hope, like my fingers are crossed, that that has built enough um, organizing energy to demand the things that we need. There's been a lot that the administration has agreed to here, and we'll talk about that. There's still some things we need that are, have not been agreed to, especially around the public housing developments. But I hope that like we've built up enough community uh, alignment, both to like win the things we really need uh, for this to be affordable, sustainable, resilient, mixed use in the public interest, and then to have enough support to get us uh, to get us there. So in some ways, we've jumped a little bit ahead here. Let's explain to those who are not following closely what what this rezoning proposal is. It's a neighborhood rezoning. It's different than the industry city project. Um, so explain, you know, the neighborhood, what it would cut, what the neighborhood looks like now, what the rezoning would do, what the goals of it are, and some of the outlines of the proposal. Right. So the Gowanus Canal sits in between the neighborhoods of Carroll Gardens and Park Slope um, and Borham Hill to the north. It, um, you know, once upon a time was a swamp, the Gowanus Creek, but it was developed as one of the very earliest and for a time the busiest of America's 
industrial urban waterways um, and both manufacturing and coal gasification for energy um, happened around the banks of the Gowanus Canal. Um, it was a big part of the driver of, of Brooklyn's economic industrial history. Um, uh, it was a big source of pollution. So the, the dissolved oxygen content in the Gowanus Canal went to zero in 1905. So this is not like modern pollution. This is the early industrial pollution and it's had that history. The land around it has been polluted. The canal itself uh, is declared a Superfund site because it's got such you know deep toxins. But you know, about 10 years ago, the EPA came in and declared it a Superfund site. That was a, a big argument at the time. The Bloomberg administration opposed it, but I, a lot of neighborhood activists, people on both sides of the, of the rezoning uh, all agreed, we need to have this a Superfund site. We wanna get it dredged, we wanna get it cleaned. We don't want CSOs, combined sewer overflow, continuing to pollute the canal. Let's get that done. And that, those processes move slowly, but it's on path. Um, even the Trump EPA has not canceled it and the, Dredge is moving forward. There's work going on to repair the bulkhead so that the canal, it'll be a 10 year long process of dredging so that the canal can be dredged and the water cleaner and the city will be responsible for building two tanks um, that hold the sewage so that it doesn't flow into the canal during stormwater events. So that means we've got this wonderful opportunity because the canal and the area around it is going to be getting um, cleaner and, and more resilient. And so it presents an opportunity and the sites around the canal are zoned currently for manufacturing. There is an area that's in the South Brooklyn Industrial Business Zone or the IBZ. We are not rezoning, we're not proposing to rezone that area. That area will stay for manufacturing jobs. And in fact, we've got some proposals to invest more there so that people can actually build and invest in manufacturing and industrial businesses. But outside of the IBZ, you have a lot of land that is currently, um, it's funny, it was once underutilized. It's um, what has happened is an interesting thing. Like people are using it for, you know, there's a climbing gym, a lot of CrossFit, there's archery, there's a shuffleboard club, there's little kid tennis, there's ax throwing. I know we say we want a mix of uses in Gowanus, but honestly, like drinking alcohol and throwing axes is not the mix of uses that I, I think we should have in mind. Um, it's become a little bit of a playground. And you know, if you're a family in Park Slope or Carroll Gardens, you like that, hey, there's a cool shuffleboard club or we could go to archery today. But, but I don't think that's really the, the best model for what this area can be and what kind of value it can contribute to the city. So the idea here is that it would rezone those areas right around the canal um, to allow the development of, of mixed, uh, mixed income housing you know, using, uh, there's a bunch of privately owned sites on which mandatory inclusionary housing would be mapped. The buildings would be you know, up to about 20 stories. So tall by the characteristics of the, you know, I'm in my three story brownstone a block and a half from the canal, but not you know, huge by the, you know, by kind of what's in downtown Brooklyn or, or Manhattan. Um, there's one city owned site called Public Place that would be all affordable housing with a school and a waterfront park. Um, we've been really thoughtful about how to keep Gowanus mixed and creative. So we've got a whole new zoning category called the Gowanus Mix that would be in those new buildings. So they'll have their, you know, residential, they'll have ground floor retail, some on the canal and some on the side streets but there's also room for a new zoning category that's arts, artisan, light manufacturing and nonprofit uses. 
a bunch of the mid blocks between third and fourth Avenue and third and Nevins Avenue are not being rezoned to residential. So you'll have residential on the avenues, but still commercial and light manufacturing and some office and retail on the side streets. Um, uh, exciting, uh, good new waterfront access zoning for the canal itself. You get a continuous waterfront esplanade planned with sea level rise in mind. You have to, the developers will have to show a path that is, um, you know, with an eye toward high tide in 2100. So we're really thinking a lot about uh, resilience and sustainability. All the new buildings, according to laws we built, will have to have rooftop wind or solar or green roofs. So, um, so that's the plan. Um, and you know, I understand why, for the reasons we talked about before, there is skepticism about it. It's a rezoning, and you know, a lot of it is private developers. But I think if people will like take a deep breath, kind of try to lean past that fear you can see that the thinking about making it inclusive and affordable, making it sustainable and resilient, making it genuinely mixed use, investing in the infrastructure needed to sustain growth are really exactly what we need for the city's recovery through this crisis. So one of the questions that I've been thinking about as we consider um, land use and rezonings here is, you know, who represents and speaks for the community? Because we hear this a lot, right? Like community engagement. And often you find that the groups that are kind of most vocal are very sophisticated and have a certain point of view. And they may represent the broader swath or they may not, right? Um, And so how do you, how can you be sure you're really getting the variety of opinion and the full spectrum of sentiment from the people in the neighborhood? You know, from the person who is very active and attends their community board meetings to, you know, like the two working parents who, you know, may or may not vote, but obviously care about what happens on their block and in their community. Yeah. I mean, I think your beginning point is the most important one. We, we want to think about what does the community think, as though ultimately the community will speak with one voice and no community speaks with one voice. There's a, a multiplicity of voices and the responsibility in the public sector is to make room for all of them to be sensitive to the ones that are least likely to be heard and try to listen and let them all be heard and not try to reduce them Um, there are going to be people, there are people who have opposed the idea of new development in Gowanus from the beginning, and they're going to till the end. And it's important to keep listening. And this rezoning has gotten a lot better because we've kept listening to people. Um, So we've had, I was trying to count, I wish we'd kept count, because I think it's probably over 100, but I I can't prove it. So I'm going to say for sure it's over 50 public meetings, like and not, I don't mean private meetings, we've had hundreds of those, but at, at least 50 public meetings large forums and small working groups in public housing developments, in churches, outside in parks, in the businesses. And we've focused on topics affecting homeowners and tenants, artists, lots of artists in the neighborhood. There's a ton of people who care about the environment, small business owners. Um, during We started this without city planning. We did a process called Bridging Gowanus, which was led by the elected officials in the area in partnership with a bunch of community groups. And we made a bunch of space for kind of large and small conversations. One of those meetings was like taken over. There was like an Occupy of like bell ringing. And and I thought that was great. You know, at first I freaked out and I wanted to be like, shut up. But honestly, it was a super part of the process. And then the city came in and to their credit in this one, they set up a really good online portal, but they also did a ton of in-person meetings. They created five working groups 
on small business issues, housing issues, arts issues, environment issues, and open space, and anyone could join. And each of those groups had five meetings, so you really got to dig down in. Then they've also gone out and said, okay, on issues of public housing, we got to do more to listen in the public housing developments. And so there's been broad, a, a lot of broad outreach, and it has made room for I think some of the traditional voices that you hear in these rezonings, but a lot of a lot of cases, people who who don't show up as much. Uh, one of the subsequent meetings was sort of occupied by a group of public housing residents who said this does not include, and they were right, and I agree, an, um, significant investment in public housing, and it still doesn't. So in, unless we get there, we're not going to be able to do this rezoning because even though it's got a lot of merits within its own boundaries. You can't in a neighborhood that basically, you know, because gentrification in this area took place a while ago, almost all of the low income families in the neighborhood live in the public housing developments. And you can't say, hey, we're going to create this great new mixed income community with all this beautiful new affordable housing around a renovated canal. But we're just going to leave the dilapidated public housing where the vast majority of families of color and low income families currently live. In, in really deteriorating conditions and call that equity because we think our rezoning is good. So, so they, they've been able to raise their voices. And I'll just say one, one last thing here. Um, you know, folks who are the opposition are organized and they have some, some groups and that's totally appropriate. But there's a wonderful coalition called the Gowanus Neighborhood Coalition for Justice, which is um, the Fifth Avenue Committee, the Gowanus Canal Conservancy, public housing resident leaders, and like, a, you know, I don't know, 20 other groups. And they have worked together to articulate their concerns and demands and expectations of this rezoning. And that's a diverse group and they have a lot of different goals, but they really have tried to say, you know, we're open to this if it can be done right. And here's what we think that means. So that is that doesn't make it the sole voice of the community either, but it has been really helpful to have thoughtful organizing that's tried to bring people together across a lot of lines. Just to clarify on a couple of things. So this sort of originated out of elected officials saying, you know, we should, we should take a look at this area and, and figure out ways to put it to better use. And then the de Blasio administration sort of, sort of saw that work and thought this could fit nicely into our affordable housing plan. Uh, we brought it, so yes, yeah, so Bridging Gowanus took place before we started it. It started in 2013, before the 2013 election. So before right. there was a de Blasio administration, there was this conversation. Um, there was a sort of a diverse point of view there. I think that what came out of that were a set of broad goals and we felt comfortable going to City Hall and saying, if it's genuinely affordable, if there's investment in public housing, if you get sustainability and resilience right, if you keep Gowanus creative, and if you invest in the infrastructure needed for growth, we're open to working with you. There was a dissenting point of view, and we like even published their dissent, and like there's a set of people who disagree with that. Um, and we took it. I actually went and met with Deputy Mayor Glenn on maybe the third day of the de Blasio administration. It was like a snowy Friday right after the inauguration and said, I think we've got something special here where people have been engaged collectively. We would still need a lot more engagement. Um, and for a while they were really resistant to do it. Um, and I don't know, some of that is that it is a complex neighborhood because we're trying to preserve some manufacturing and keep it mixed use. Um, in hindsight, I wanna, I gotta be honest. I think when we look back on the de Blasio administration and we know that the vast majority of the rezonings were in low-income communities of color. 
um, you know, we're going to have to ask some questions about why that was. And I don't know whether it wasn't that there was a thought that it would be easier to get the rezonings done there, either because of a mistaken idea that people would be more hungry for growth and new affordable housing after years of disinvestment, or because there would be less organizing in opposition. But Gowanus, it was not easy to get the de Blasio administration to lean into coming out and starting it. It took a couple of years before they kicked off the, the process. But yes, eventually, as they were kind of thinking about their MIH plans and they looked at, at the platform we built through that community planning, they came in and said, okay, let's go through and do some planning and move toward a rezoning. And, and so that additional information on top of what you said earlier adds to this feeling where I want to say, this is taking too long. I mean, this, that's a, that is way too long of a timeline and it's great to do so many meetings, but though that's too many meetings. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> some yeah. of those could have been emails. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you know that, that's so interesting. Cause I was having the same feeling like on the one hand, how wonderful to have this robust community engagement. On the other hand, you're talking about a years long process before you even start the official land use action. Right. And it's such a slow process contrasted with like, the fact that we're supposed to be the city that never sleeps and everything is so fast paced and we have this tremendous churn of people, right? Tons of people come here every year, tons of people leave. Usually it's a net plus though recently it hasn't been, right? We've been losing population. And I'm starting to wonder whether this sort of slow glacial pace of being to adapt the city is hurting us and being a constraint on growth. And I wanna say just real quick, very clearly, neither of us is saying skip the community yeah, engagement. Right. Because no, I, we, I, don't, <laughs> I don't disagree with you. I, look, I don't want to be a brokered record on comprehensive planning, and I don't think it will be a panacea, and you're going to need a process to evolve it over time. So I, I found some, somebody found me, showed me this quote the other day from, I think it's from Eisenhower, who I never quoted before. Um, He's on Gowanus, he said. <laughs> he said something like, comprehensive plans are worthless, comprehensive planning is everything. You know, like you want to be thinking comprehensively and engaging in it and not getting stuck with kind of a rigid document that, you know, so, so, but in the absence of that, I, I don't, you know, it's hard to figure out what to do. It's not like there weren't things happening in Gowanus. All those businesses I mentioned, you know, with the ax throwing and the shuffleboard and the, like all of that is like people responding to the incentives created by the absence of, of new rules and lots of activity was taking place. It's just not activity that was maximizing the kind of values and goals of affordable housing and good jobs that, that, we, that we want and need. So I don't know, I, I, what I'd like to try is developing a good comprehensive planning process. We're trying to come out with Antonio Reynoso and I are working on something that are really like answer some of the questions and details. We hoped the planning commission and the charter revision commission would do that. They kind of just kept coming back and asking us even though we were anyway. So. Um, so you get a bounded process, you do it, and then you try to let those guidelines govern for a while with a process for changing and evolving them when things, things shift and change. But in the absence of it, um, and, and I think you spoke to this shift beforehand, what we've relied on in the past is we won't have deep community engagement, we won't have comprehensive planning, we'll just let developers kind of shotgun the process and assume that it can be negotiated to yes by, you know, by the end of the day. And, and whatever you thought of that process before, it is not working currently. And so if we want to be able to do something that can evolve the rules, it's going to have to be pretty inclusive. Um, I hear you that this process took a long time and, and, and I don't disagree that 
we could have had plenty of engagement in a shorter period of time. But I do think the fact that we did it, um, you know, puts us in a good spot. I'm glad we now have a deadline. I will say that, you know, we can get this done. You know, we've got whatever it is, 14 months left to the end of the uh, the de Blasio administration, the end of my term in the council. Um, and a, a deadline is helpful. I, you know, I think there are a set of people that say, wait, we want a new planning process. We want a new racial impact analysis process. We want the super fund done. We want to be able to have in-person meetings. Like, let's just push this out and hope it doesn't happen because we know that if it doesn't get done in this administration, you know, and somebody new would start all over again and maybe it'll be another decade. So a deadline is good. And in this case, we've got one. And I think it can motivate us to answer the questions that have to be answered to make those improvements, not only, but especially around public housing and get this done in the time we have. So what are the sticking points? What do we, what do we need to know about where the disagreement is, what you uh, haven't convinced people in the community about, what people want more of from the administration? Can you tick off for us? Yeah. I don't know. Let five me start things. with let me start with some things that I think are actually really good and people just don't know about yet. And then, uh, and then I'll talk about a couple of the sticking points. Um, we're gonna be having, the administration wants to certify this application in January. So we're gonna have a couple more community meetings and it is like obviously coming back to this amidst COVID, uh, you know, it, it takes some looking. To me, it's exactly what we need in the face of COVID. It's exactly the kind of resilient, affordable, inclusive, sustainable, job creating, affordable housing creating development we want. But, um, but so first on those issues of sustainability, um, there's a great new stormwater rule. One of the big commitments that people have wanted is that new development won't add any pollution to the canal because we're cleaning up the canal. And the city um, is, has, we've just adopted, a DEP developed and the council passed a new citywide stormwater rule that strengthens the requirements that developers have for what happens with the water, you know, stormwater and wastewater on their sites. And it's, it's so stringent, it all applies citywide. It's not only about Gowanus, but Gowanus is the first place that it's being applied. It's so stringent that um, they'll actually, if the, as the rule is now passed, if the rezoning goes into effect and developers develop their sites, they have to do such significant stormwater and wastewater treatments that their sites will actually put less stormwater runoff into the canal in storm events. And as a result, the canal will actually get a little bit cleaner as a result of new development. That's not as significant as the Superfund cleanup and the CSO tanks, those are the most important, but actually development will make the canal even a little bit cleaner. And then the great esplanade and the, you know, and the sustainability and resilience treatments I mentioned there um, are a big deal. We'll also be having a meeting about that Gowanus Green, the public place site that's now going to be called Gowanus Green, which is the one city-owned site. Um, the city initially proposed something that would be 75% affordable. We're pushing to get it 100% affordable at a real wide range of income. So like, you know, low-income seniors and formerly homeless folks, but also working and lower middle class folks who certainly cannot afford to live in Park Slope or Carroll Gardens today could live there as well. Mm -hmm. That'll be eight or 900, maybe even a thousand units of affordable housing with a school, with a waterfront park, really beautiful and, and resilient design. We'll have a meeting on that in the near future. And I think people will be excited about that. There's two great new zoning infrastructure bonus tools in the rezoning. 
that are brand new, a school's bonus um, that I'm, I won't go into here, but we'll get the details later that will make it possible. Basically the sites have this sort of 20 story buildings on the water, but then a long lower building as the, you know, it, it meets the community and you'll be able to do a school in that lower part with a rooftop playground as a really innovative way of getting new school development. So even beyond the one on the publicly owned site, it's a great tool that I think will get us the schools we need. And I should say um, one thing that I think this rezoning fits into is the work we've done in Community School District 15 to achieve school integration in our middle schools and actually hopefully in our elementary schools as well. That's a process that's coming up right now. So if we can create, the rezoning overall would be projected to create 8,200 housing units, 3,000 of them affordable. So 3,000 affordable units in between Park Slope and Carroll Gardens. Um, that is something that I think we can feel really good about, knowing that the kids in from those units will be going to PS 58 and PS 32 and PS 29 and like the schools of the neighborhood. Um, that's how we're going to create like genuinely inclusive multiracial neighborhoods with real opportunity. Um, and there's also a transit bonus uh, that were uh, there's also a, the Fourth Avenue would also be upzoned in this rezoning, and we need investments in the um, the NR station at Union Street. We really would like to get a subway, an elevator, and a stairwell there. So hopefully the transit bonus is going to work. Um, I was, I, you know, I mean, we, maybe we can go back to this, but I was going to ask if the infrastructure in the area can really handle the potential influx of people, but, um, but, but let's get to the, the sticking points for. Yeah. For well, th that's an important question. We're still pushing on it because we don't actually have confidence yet that in that transit bonus is going to generate that elevator and stairwell. So that is get the details of that are important and are getting worked out. You know, the environmental impact statement will look at where the street and sewer infrastructure, you know, we, we got out in front of this and we have made a bunch of investments in sewer infrastructure on Second Avenue and Ninth Street, but but there's you know and we've been we have done a lot of work to try to make sure it comes with the infrastructure needed to sustain growth because that is a very fair question for neighborhood residents to ask. You know, I think people would say I don't love the new tall buildings; they're not my favorite thing, but I like the idea of more affordable housing uh, and a vibrant waterfront. But I can't be expected to live in a neighborhood that, you know, has worse transit, overcrowded schools, inadequate infrastructure. And we've tried really hard to make sure the plans are in place. And uh, some of that is through public investment and there'll need to be more of it. And some of that is through these bonus tools. Um, the, the big sticking point, I think there's two, two big remaining things to work through. The biggest by far is the public housing. You've got Gowanus uh, houses and Wyckoff Gardens. And between the two of them, they have about $200 million in immediate capital need, not like 10-year need, but things that are needed right today. Um, they've, they've had some investment because post-Sandy, they had to replace the boilers in Gowanus houses, but you just still have roofs that leak and that causes mold. And you've got, you know, units that have been dilapidated a long time and both community centers are closed. And people are angry because it's years and years of neglect and they're right to be angry. And so then you add this process in all about this beautiful new development nearby. And unfortunately, you know, one thing that I, I'm really frustrated about and I'm, I'm most mad at City Hall, but I, some of it's on me too. I just ticked off all these great things we've accomplished, you know, great stormwater rule, great MIH, great 
um, commitments to mixed use, great new zoning bonuses for the infrastructure for schools and transit. And we still don't have a commitment or a real plan to invest in the affordable housing. We proposed a bonus model there also, let the developers build kind of 10% more, but it has to go into NYCHA. And the city said, that's too complicated. We've said, we're open to a lot of ways of doing it. The easiest is if the city will just make a big capital commitment and invest in those two developments. Um, we would be glad still to do a transfer development rights. We're open to other tools. Greg Ross is talking about this new preservation trust. Maybe Gowanus and Wyckoff could be the first two developments in the preservation trust. We're flexible in how we do it, but there has to be a significant investment to a, and a real commitment, not one that just sounds good, but people don't think it's gonna happen in addressing the capital needs in those two developments, getting the community centers open for sure, but then really getting into the changes that'll make difference in people's, in people's homes. And we don't have that yet. Um, and then the other thing is, um, you know, my, as I mentioned, my term is done at the end of next year. So we've got a chance to move this, this rezoning through in a strong way, but making sure that the commitments are met is a long-term challenge in all of these things. And especially when you have a new administration that's gonna come in and say, well, we didn't make those promises. Um, the community wants and right, rightly expects some framework, an oversight body, some way of having confidence. Um, and, and that's needed, you know, the, the, at the beginning of the term, the de Blasio administration agreed to honor the commitment the Bloomberg administration had made in, in Greenpoint Williamsburg for the waterfront park. But just recently in the budget, the administration cut the basement program that had been committed in East New York to renovate basement units to create affordable housing for homeowners there. That was a commitment made in the East New York rezoning to council member Espinal and now council member Espinal is gone and they cut that money from the budget. So, so that's a, you know, th there needs to be a way of having confidence that the commitments made will be kept. Well, should, we, we're running long. Unfortunately, yeah, we, I know that we're going to get to tackle comprehensive planning and also some of the budget issues I wanted to talk to you well, about. Yeah. Councilmember Lander sprinkled in the comprehensive planning. Uh, yeah, so I think people got the gist, though. I, a few know, times. I, I would agree. I, I think this is critically important, both for directing the city's capital investments better, more strategically, and in a more focused way towards things that really matter instead of things that appear nice and, you know, towards critical infrastructure like water and sewer. Um, and like NYCHA instead of things like ribbon cuttings. But also I think there's tremendous potential for using that process to spur housing uh, production in a sort of more reasonable and predictable and easier way. So I think it's a great idea. I think, you know, it's something that would benefit the city in the long run um, and would be good to see your proposal move forward. <laughs> we've, um, we've covered this issue quite a bit at Gotham Gazette. And so we're definitely looking forward to seeing what the specifics look like on that. Um, and I think, I think what we'll have to do is have you back when, when that's ready and yeah. uh, maybe you and council member Reynoso together and, and talk about it. So I'll be excited to come back and talk about comprehensive <laughs> planning. Of course, before too long, I'll be excited to come on and talk about all the issues of the comptroller's race <laughs> that, you know, I'll be uh, love that you guys dig in on and I'll be excited <laughs> to think about how to handle the, ridiculous multiplicity of municipal races that are coming. Yes. Um, but I, one thing I'll say is I know you guys are going to bring this set of questions into your thinking about the mayor's race. And that is so important. I think it's 
like because of what we said at the beginning about the polarization and the anger, um, I think a lot of the mayoral candidates will just have the incentive to kind of duck, you know, and, and not talk about this stuff and, you know, give good platitudes. We all want an affordable, inclusive, sustainable city. But but I think it's on all of us and, and you guys have a good platform to do it to really push to hear um, some concrete plans for them. We've got a great opportunity, you know, even in the absence of comprehensive planning, uh, a mayor's race coming out of a crisis can be a moment for doing that kind of thinking and engagement. And I know that uh, what the data point and, and CBC and Gotham Gazette will be will be central places for doing that. We will. Thank you. Uh, Councilmember Lander will be watching these next steps on the Gowanus rezoning. And uh, if uh, if there's anything we left at discussion, let, let us know uh, afterward and we'll, we'll we'll get back to it soon. But thanks. Thanks for all the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much.